it's a privilege to be joining you today. As we begin, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. And please bear with me because this is a bit of a long passage of scripture, but I think you'll understand why I've chosen this passage once we start delving into our topic this morning. So Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Join with me as we pray. Father, may the words of our hearts and the meditation of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Death is a topic that few of us care to think about. And until recently, we've done a pretty good job of avoiding the topic. We live in a death-denying culture. 
Not only does death tend to be a taboo subject, but we isolate ourselves from the sick and dying or anything else that reminds us of our mortality. The COVID-19 pandemic has taken away our ability to ignore death in our everyday lives. And it has caused many of us to contemplate not only our own mortality, but the possibility of death for those we know and love. Thinking about death, especially our own, can be uncomfortable or even frightening. However, we have nothing to lose and so much to gain by preparing ourselves for the reality of death. In fact, it has only been in about the last 200 years that Christians as a whole have not participated in the practice of preparing for death in our day-to-day -day lives. For centuries, the Ars Moriende tradition held a prominent place in the lives of believers. The Ars Moriende, or Art of Dying, was a body of literature which provided guidance for the dying and for their caregivers. It consisted of exhortations, prayers, and questions that were meant to help a person through the dying process and pave the way for a good death. However, the Ars Moriende was not simply for those who were actively dying. Rather, this tradition realized that just as learning the art of any worthwhile craft takes time and effort, so the art of dying well requires our full attention and is something that should not be pushed off until we are facing the end of our lives. Those of us who are situated in the Wesleyan tradition have a very strong heritage in the Ars Moriende tradition. Historically, Methodists in particular were known to die well. A physician who treated several Methodists made the claim to Charles Wesley, most people die for the fear of dying, but I have never met with such a people as yours. They are none of them afraid of death, but are calm and patient and resigned to the last. So we have to ask the question, what did John Wesley and the early Methodists know that allowed them to die with such grace and with such assurance? Well, to begin with, Wesley, like Paul in our passage from Romans today, did not ignore the, the reality of suffering and death. This does not mean that he became fatalistic or that he developed an unhealthy fixation with death. Rather, Wesley realized that ignoring death cheats us of the opportunity to examine the condition of our soul and to obtain peace with God. Do you never think about death? Wesley asked. Uh, why do you not? Are you never to die? Uh, he said, no, it's appointed for all men to die. And what comes after? Well, only heaven or hell. Will the not thinking of death put it further off? No, not a day not one hour. So Wesley here is, says that contemplating the end of our earthly existence allows us time to examine our standing with God in a very focused and honest way. Recognizing the looming prospect of death provides a seriousness to our spiritual examination. Wesley actually sought out those who were dying, not simply to minister to them, but to learn from them. In his journal, Wesley records the statement that he found this believer who was on their deathbed weaker and happier than ever. Her life seemed spun out to the last thread. I spent a half an hour with her to teach her at once and to learn of her to die. One would think that all of this contemplation of death would lead to despair. However, it is quite the opposite. 
Rather, it forces us to recognize that we are first and foremost a people of hope. Death reminds us that we have not yet realized our full inheritance in Christ, the redemption of our bodies. Therefore, we have hope. Hope in the here and now that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And hope that in his time God will redeem all things. This hope reminds us that life is a precious gift from God. We have been given all things through the death and resurrection of Christ. Therefore, our lives cannot be wasted on meaningless pursuits. In other words, holy living is best encouraged when we understand what's at stake. Wesley admonished his followers, you have no time to lose. See that you redeem every moment that remains. Remove everything out of the way, be it ever so small, that might anyways obstruct your lowliness, your meekness, your seriousness of spirit, your single attention to glorify God in all your thoughts and words and actions. Wesley knew the secret to dying well was living well, being conformed every moment to the image of Christ. Finally, Wesley knew that those who fully invest their lives in the pursuit of glorifying God have nothing to fear from death. Rather, death becomes yet another opportunity for the grace of God to be made manifest. To be sure, Wesley understood that there are some natural fears surrounding death. After all, death is often accompanied by pain, especially during Wesley's 18th century, and it is human instinct to avoid pain. Wesley also acknowledged that there are various degrees of assurance given throughout the Christian journey. As believers grow in grace and holiness through the process of sanctification, they possess more assurance, and the fears associated with death diminish. Not all believers have the same uh, extent of confidence in the face of death because we vary in our degrees of holiness. However, Wesley was entirely convinced that God's faithfulness to genuine believers uh, so that at the time of death, grace will be given as it is needed. In a letter to a young woman named Miss Bishop, Wesley gave the following reassurance. He said, faith is given according to our present need. You now have such faith as necessary for your living unto God as you are not yet called to die. When you are, you shall have faith for that. Improve the faith that you have today. Trust God with tomorrow. The same gifts and graces that enabled Wesley and the early Methodists to lead victorious lives and die triumphant deaths are available to us today. In his treatise, An Earnest Appeal to Men of Religion, Reason and Religion, Wesley declared, what religion do I preach? The religion of love, the law of kindness brought to light by the gospel. What is this good for? To make all who receive it enjoy God and themselves, to make them like God, lovers of all, contented in their lives and crying out at their death in calm assurance, O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who giveth me the victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. Let us also be marked by a religion of love, so that in a time of uncertainty and fear, sickness and death, 
we can live triumphantly, recognizing that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. Whether living and dying, we may bear witness with a vibrant hope of the redemption found only in Jesus Christ, a redemption that transcends both death and the grave.